When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on contributing to a trip as a gift, fielding rude messages from patients, asking for a father's blessing after the wedding ceremony, and thanking friends for letting you live with them. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, our question of the week is about voicing concerns about pets you are pet-sitting for to the owner. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on punctuality and patience. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm Lizzie Post. And how's it going this fine day, Lizzie Post? Oh my goodness. We've had, like, spring came late. I feel like it's been rainy and gross out, but kind of nice because it's not, like, hot and muggy. Uh-huh. Um, but no, it's been a busy bee little work, work week, I feel like, because it's like each day it's just before I know it, it's like 2.30 and then 4.30 and then 5.30 and it's like, okay, got to call it quits and like get the dogs out for the walk and go do the things. And oh, now it's time for bed. Wake up. Here we go again. It's, I just, there's been so many little moving things happening at Emily Post. It's, it feels very jazzed. It does. It's like we're, <laughs> we, we picked up momentum over the course of the spring. I was Saying to you the other day, it's like a the Calvin and Hobbes cartoon, and I'll take yes. some of our listeners way back to the book about summertime. The days are just packed. The days are just packed. Oh, it's such a good collection. <laughs> Can I tell um, a story about summer days? Please, please do. So yesterday, we're recording this on the 23rd. So I guess yesterday was the day after the solstice, but there was still very long days. And my girls have been very excited. We've been talking a lot about the days getting longer and shorter. And Mm -hmm. for my father, the solstice is a a big event. Twice a year, it's an excuse to give him a call and we kind of celebrate (laughs) solstices together. And it's pretty common for us to shoot off some fireworks on the solstice. And I had been thinking about it periodically leading up to the 21st. And Mm -hmm. I ultimately decided that just wasn't going to work out. There was enough going on. The days were just packed that we would talk about the solstice at dinner. But that would be the the end of it. I'd give Gramps a call. Yeah. My eldest daughter made me so proud. She requested fireworks. Oh! (laughs) And we played with sparklers. And the three-year-old was saying... 
the sparkle ones are for, for low, and then we do the bang ones that go up. She was starting to build the display in her mind, the little three-year-old. Oh. <laughs> Pitter-patter, Lizzie Pose, pitter-patter. It was a, a very satisfying moment for a father. And the grandparents next door heard them, called. It, it, unfortunately, we got rained out. We ended up doing bubbles instead of fireworks. But it was gotcha. an awesome solstice. And I want to wish all of our listeners a happy solstice. I know this is coming out a week late on it. but <laughs> A cherished holiday. And a very summery one, as we do actually start summer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. Summer is on. <laughs> summer is on. Look out. Dan, what else are you looking forward to this summer? I feel like you've you've actually got some like seminar life back on your plate. Not to bring you back to work, but... <laughs> I, I I do, and you did, because you start off by asking me about what I've got coming for the summer. I'm like, oh, I've got the first house guest we've had in two years coming. <laughs> you were going social. <laughs> but there's also a, a sort of a combined work and social one that I'm really looking forward to. I'm going to spend a week oh, yeah. on an island called Star Island, a small island off the coast of Maine with a an old Victorian hotel. And the... It sounds like the start of maybe a horror movie or like a ghost story movie, you know? <laughs> it could be. Think summer camp for adults. Totally. Okay. Now, now that's a different vibe. I gotcha. They do all kinds of different things. The the different events and weeks or, or extended stays at Star Island all have different themes. And Emily Post and Etiquette are going to be the theme for a week there. And... <gasps> I'd be giving lectures each morning, but the thing that is exciting for me is the whole family gets to come. So yeah. all five of us will spend a week on Star Island, and Anisha started to talk about it. She's looking forward to it. She wants to get hair extensions, and we've got to get that done before we head to Star Island. <laughs> She's got to get her purple and blue streaks going. And I know that the folks at Star Island have been promoting the week that's coming and that they've mentioned this podcast on a bunch of informational mailings that have gone out to attendees. Oh, so nice. this is an opportunity for me to say hello in advance to anybody that I'm going to be <laughs> meeting at Star Island in a couple of weeks. That's so awesome. I didn't even think about it that way, but I hope there are some Star Island attendees who are listening and thinking of great etiquette questions to ask you and conversations to have. I'm quite jealous. I think this event sounds absolutely intriguing and um, stimulating. Like, I feel like you're going to come away from this having like had a little brain trust on the topic of like etiquette and civility. <laughs> I think you and I are thinking about it in a very similar way. It's a, a really rich opportunity to spend an extended period of time with a group of people that are interested. It's not a mm -hmm. training environment. It's really an mm -hmm. opportunity to lead discussions and talk about etiquette and social expectations, the role that they play in our lives. But I'm imagining some interesting discussions developing about ethics, politics, morals. It, it, it's an exciting prospect for me because those are discussions <laughs> i love to have oh to be a fly on those walls i wish i wish well when you get back you'll have to give us the full download and i'm sure we'll probably have to turn it into a postscript segment because a whole week is going to stir up a lot of conversation i i appreciate that you're looking forward to putting up with me when that happens <laughs> well until then do you think we should carry on with our show and get to some questions I think that's a great idea. Let's do it. Awesome 
Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we're at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question this week is about a solo trip. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you so much for all the work you put into this wonderful podcast. I've been a fan of Emily Post since I was a child, and I truly appreciate your witty and modern approach to etiquette. I'm a young, single female who will be turning 30 next year. I decided that for my birthday, I want to cross an item off my bucket list and take a solo trip. I have already started saving for this trip because I plan to do everything I have never done for frugality's sake. I plan to get a room at a really nice hotel, order room service, check out all of the local museums, the best restaurants, etc. Every year in the weeks leading up to my birthday, my family and friends ask me repeatedly what I want for my birthday, and I truly don't need anything. I know they are going to ask again next year. I never volunteer gift ideas for myself, but when people continuously ask me what I want for my birthday, would it be rude to suggest a contribution to my trip as a gift suggestion? I appreciate any and all feedback. Thank you in advance. Anonymous. 
Anonymous. Very cool. I love the sound of this. I did a big, a big trip for a solo trip for my birthday and my 30th birthday and absolutely loved the experience. I went to a ranch out in Colorado. It was so much fun. I I highly, highly recommend the solo trip. (laughs) Oh, it's such an exciting prospect. It really, really is. It really is. And what I think is really interesting about this is that it's really not uncommon for us to share gift ideas with our family and friends, especially when they're asking. And that's a close enough relationship where it's it's the convenience of being direct about it is just so wonderful. But if you're in a position where you you haven't usually entertained those conversations and where it's a birthday, Dan, you and I are very used to encouraging people to make suggestions of a contribution towards something like an experience on a trip for something like a wedding. Or maybe it's a contribution towards a more expensive item for a baby or a new child being welcomed into the family. And we don't hear the same request quite as often for birthdays, but we do get the question about cash as a birthday gift or putting money towards something as a birthday gift. And the answer is always, yes, that's perfectly appropriate. How do you feel about it in this type of scenario where it's it's sort of a direct ask coming as opposed to something that someone might say via word of mouth when they're RSVPing to a party or something like that? I think the direct ask makes it so much easier to just tell them. Like you say, there's a certain convenience <laughs> to that. When when someone asks you, you can respond. And I think that you can moderate your tone, as is mm-hmm. always true. How you do things matters when we're talking about etiquette. And mm-hmm. I think if you have a portion of your mind or you're thinking on sharing your excitement and your enthusiasm for the thing mm-hmm. that you're looking forward to and – that's a component of you also being explicit and letting them know that contributions towards that would be just wonderful and so appreciated and exactly what you would most want to get for your birthday. Yeah. I think you're in really good shape. I think that like you, that I'm 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 really not concerned and it makes so much sense, practicality being the heart of good etiquette, I even want to make some room or some allowance for initiating that discussion again starting with that enthusiasm and excitement and and sharing of what your hopes are your expectations even what some of your planning is maybe as a way with very close friends and family to raise the the topic or the subject i'm thinking about people that have asked in years prior and people who you have a very reasonable expectation that they're going to be looking for something to get you what do you think about that lizzie post it all rang true to me. <laughs> it, um, I think it might feel a little different to make a suggestion of a contribution as opposed to, oh, there's this, yeah. you know, sweater from this site that I really love. If if you're really looking for something, that's been something that's been on my mind, you know. But I can't find fault with it because I think it's something that people would be into doing like I do I do think a lot of people like appreciate the idea of being able to contribute to something like the type of trip that anonymous is going on for me I was thinking about the fact that often anonymous isn't interested in telling people a suggestion when this particular request comes and it's it's just asking about a gift for the birthday 
And I think that this I, it would be really easy to slide in the language of, you know, this year I actually do have something I was thinking about. I'm going on this trip and I would love to do as many cool things as possible while I'm on it. So if there was something you wanted to contribute to the trip, I would that would make such a wonderful gift this year. Like, I feel like that could be delivered nicely. I don't know how well I did. You can tell me. But I, but I feel like, you know, even for someone who doesn't engage this particular back and forth regularly, I think you, you could get there. It sounded okay to me. I like <laughs> the idea of using the word if so that it's a conditional ask. If you're looking for something to get me or yeah. if you're wondering about my birthday so that it's not a, a demand, it's not an expectation. You're acknowledging that it might or might not happen, that they may or may not even be looking for that kind of a specific suggestion. Right. I was wondering also about building out something like a registry or something that would let people know about specific things you were looking for. And that started to feel less comfortable to me. That started yeah. to feel like a step too far for a birthday. And and I don't know why, but it just started to feel like it crossed some of those lines where some people might not receive it in the way that you would intend it to be offered. And I like mm -hmm. the idea of a conversational approach more. Anonymous, I wish we had you on the phone. I'd ask you about exactly where you're hoping to go because one of my favorite things to talk about is travel. And <laughs> it's fun to travel, but it's almost as much fun to think about a trip that's coming up. We wish you the best in the rest of your planning and hope our answer helps. Have a happy 30th. In a search that has continued for centuries, some far distant view with its promise of the unseen and its promise of the unknown has forever fathered the impulse to seek for new things in new places, new horizons. Our next question is titled Mean Medical Messages. Hello. As a nurse, the volume of messages patients are sending to their healthcare teams has gone up substantially, and I am finding the incidences of impatient and aggressive messaging going up. For example, quote, I went to the lab, but there was no insurance authorization, exclamation point, exclamation point, and then in all caps, you are wasting my time with multiple exclamation points, end quote, and quote, you must have moved this appointment without asking, now in all caps. I am mad, exclamation point, exclamation point. I had to wait for an hour, end quote, even though the appointment had not been moved. For reference, I work at a cancer center, so patients are under a lot of stress, and some shortness from patients is to be expected. But I am finding and hearing more and more that healthcare workers are receiving physical and verbal abuse globally, and I'm wondering if you have a sample script that is kind but firm about not using this type of language or tone with the staff. Would love your thoughts on college nurse, <clears throat> oncology nurse taking some heat. Oh, oncology nurse taking some heat. Thank you for your question, and I want to start off by just saying how sorry I am to hear this. Me too. It is a really important reminder to me about how critical our basic civility is mm -hmm. that no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in our, our personal lives, that we're accountable for the ways that we treat each other. And that when we don't hold ourselves accountable, when we are 
uncivil and indecent that it impacts people and that it impacts people in really serious ways, both personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. The professional challenge here, I think, adds an extra layer of complication to the situation. Mm -hmm. Before I get into it, I also want to say that I've heard about this in other industries. I yeah. don't think this is necessarily unique to the healthcare field or profession, although I'm curious to hear that this is something that's being experienced by healthcare workers globally, as well as here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's certainly been a, a couple of years with the pandemic, and then we have the war in Ukraine, and we have shortages, and it just, there's so much going on that has been going on for an extended period of time now. I think it is really common to hear that people are more stressed. Dan, we know that stress often leads to more rudeness and oncology nurse taking some heat is feeling that right now. And the answer isn't simply, oh, we're all just more stressed. Get used to it. Like it's, mm -hmm. it is on us to look to ourselves, to find moments where we are mad and to take that deep breath and say, there's another human on the other end of this. Let's see if, if I can make something happen here, as opposed to, to going in, you know, fists ready to fight, face red in anger, volume already at a 10 or 20 or 50, depending on what volume you're using. Mm -hmm. I know anger can feel really good to release it. And some, I think one of the really, um, sad things that can be very true for a lot of people is that they are more willing to release it on a stranger over the phone or in a message that they might not see a real person attached to or feel as connected if it's a phone, not not like a face-to-face -face moment. And I know that these moments are happening face-to-face -to -face too, but I try to, when I think about those really tense spaces and times, where people are likely to blow up big time or where I've blown up big time at someone over something like a scheduling issue. It does seem to help on the other end of it, on the customer service end of it, to remember that it, it really often is not you. Like, it, And I know that's not just to not take responsibility. If someone really did move an appointment on a patient, like that's something worth taking responsibility for. That's not what happened in this case. But it can be so hard when it's coming at you, I feel like, to not take it personally. And, and, and I don't think just the advice of don't take it personally works. I think there are some things that can be, can be done here, but, um, Dan, it just does. So it feels so common nowadays. It does. And I'm reminded of those insurance commercials where there's a, a, a bad deed that happens. It impacts the next person. And then that impacts the next person mm -hmm. until that negative chain of events is interrupted by somebody who, makes an effort and and stops that stress leading to rudeness leading to more rudeness leading to more rudeness and it is true that kind acts and generous acts can have the same impact on people and mm -hmm. that it, it's not your responsibility to be that change agent all the time but there are opportunities in our world to do that and mm -hmm. i think all of us can remind ourselves of that and look for those opportunities when they present themselves having said that I also want to be very clear at the start of this answer or relatively near the start of this answer that anytime you're feeling threatened, that you want to keep an ear open for that and you don't have to listen to that. You mm -hmm. can 
call out what's going on and excuse yourself from the situation if you feel in danger either physically or psychologically. And that can be a hard line to identify. Is this person angry about a situation? Are they angry at me? Is their anger about the situation translating to anger at me in a way that I don't feel safe or that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm not responsible to this conversation anymore? Mm -hmm. Those can be tough questions to answer, but I want to give the permission that when those lines are crossed and when you feel that you've crossed that line, that it is okay to excuse yourself and it's okay to not just sit there and, and receive and take that anger and abuse. Dan, I also think that because we're talking about not like a social situation, but one where there is a, a facility involved, there's a hierarchy, there's a staff. I think that definitely taking this question to HR, to managers, finding out what company policy is, where you do have backup to lean on, um, or, or I don't want to call it like an escape hatch, but sort of an escape route, a way out um, if you find yourself in this space. You are a worker and that needs to be protected too. And getting the support from the team that you're on or the, the management to know what's expected of you from the organization and where the help points are when it crosses over to someone from security needing to be involved or something like that, that you're really clear and confident. Because sometimes also when you're stressed out, it can be hard to remember exactly what the action plan is. Um, I know some places have it, you know, on like a laminated card near the telephones mm -hmm. um, that if you start start to feel unsafe, here's what you do. Um, and it might be that, that you try something like that, but getting support from the organization that you work for on what's expected and, and how you can be supported, I think is really important as well. Just as that big overarching to all the etiquette that we might talk about in the rest of the question. Absolutely. And I do want to talk a little bit about that etiquette. Mm -hmm. One thought that I have is about effective ways to de-escalate someone else's anger. And mm -hmm. you, you can't always do it. It's not always possible. But sometimes just a little emotional empathy or support can completely change someone's perspective or frame of mind. Absolutely. Or even if it doesn't completely change it, it might shift it enough that you can actually do some business and get something productive out of the exchange. I was thinking about a sample script like I hear you. And the best way for me to help you is if you could describe or tell me more about the situation that you take the focus away from the emotional content mm -hmm. and really acknowledge that, but then direct your future discussion back towards the details, the information that ostensibly they're trying to get, or if they're just trying to deliver a message that you get that message clearly from them so that you can do the right thing with it. I think that goes so right in line with the, the customer service difficult client advice that we've given before, which is uh, exactly as you said, to sort of sympathize with the person. Wow, I'm sorry. This is so frustrating. This is very unusual. I can understand how this would really impact you. Things like that, that that allow the person to feel like they are being understood about what is going on and then moving right on to the, let's look at how I can help you with this. Like, let's let's move to the forward of, of getting this tidied up. There may still be some, I am so sorry that, that this, this means you'll have to wait another day, or I am so sorry that this puts it in the afternoon when you wanted a morning appointment. You can always apologize for... 
um, whatever actions you're able to take that don't fully meet things. You can't, you don't have to do the apology that takes responsibility. You can do the apology that sympathizes with the fact that it, it wasn't the exact thing. I mean, in a low stakes version of it, it's, oh, that color you wanted is out. Would you like a different color? You know, the, the higher stakes is I needed this appointment yesterday and the scheduling has been missed up. And the only thing you can do is say, I'm so, I'm so sorry that this has happened. And I understand that this is frustrating. Let's get you to the next best thing to move you forward so that you can get the help that you need. But in addition, cause to the things that we want to say, right, those sympathetic and moving forward things, there are definitely things to avoid here that are very tempting when someone's being a jerk with you on the phone. It is like it is really tempting to tell them off or put them in their place, even when it comes to saying things like there's no way that what you're describing could have like physically happened. You know what I mean? And it could be so tempting to go there. What are some things that we should avoid? Obviously, you want to avoid matching them emotionally. You don't want to respond in kind with the same type of frustration or anger. So whatever you say, the the classic advice, smile before you answer the phone, just take care of yourself emotionally so that you don't feel drawn into that place of grievance. Mm -hmm. That's going to help a lot. Mm -hmm. But as far as the actual content of what you say, if you can, avoiding disagreeing with them explicitly is one way to allow them the space to to de-escalate, to stand back, or to change direction. So if you're not saying something like, that's impossible, or you're just wrong about that, or there's no way that could have happened, or this system worked for 4,000 other people, <laughs> there must have been some input error on your end. <laughs> All reasonable things for you to think to yourself. All could be true very things. familiar. All <laughs> yeah. might be true. And I don't think any of them are going to get you to a better resolution of the call. And yeah. this is asking a lot of our oncology nurse taking some heat and her colleagues and peers. Mm -hmm. And we recognize that. This is not an easy situation to be dealing with, no. No. either in terms of the, the intellectual content or the emotional content. And... It's why we start our answer to this question talking about the big picture things that people are facing and about the world that we all live in and how we're going to craft it together to be a world that we can all inhabit and and feel well and whole and like we're part of a functioning community. And at some point, that's going to require a lot of all of us because as as you pointed out, Lizzie, there, there are a lot of natural stresses on us and we aren't able to control those all the time. It really is our reactions and responses that we're in control of. And that's, that's not always easy, but as my father once told me, whoever told you life would be easy. Mm -hmm. And it's the, the condition that we're, or at least many of us are operating in today. Oncology nurse taking some heat. We hope that some of the things we discussed today are going to help turn the temperature down. And hopefully we hear a lot more about how people are thanking you for the incredible work that you and your team are doing. Each patient presents a different personality, different problems, and the nurse must bring comfort and assurance to the patient and the patient's family. And it is also important that she teach them to guard against future illness. This question is about post-ceremony permission. Hi, 
If someone already got engaged without a long public engagement and got married, and the groom didn't get a chance to ask the bride's father's permission to marry her before the wedding day, after the ceremony was over but still wants to, what could he do? Other than apologizing for not asking his permission, I guess he couldn't ask for permission for something that's already been done. But maybe he could still ask for his blessing? Do you have any ideas for a post-wedding way he could handle this custom, which means a lot to the couple? Anonymous. Oh, Anonymous. I, I, I like the blessing idea, and I do think that that would be the route to go. And I think... I, I like I also just got to say I love it when you all answer your questions in your question because this is very much so one of those. Mm-hmm. I feel like if this is important to the couple then yes they should go through with it and that saying we know we can't ask for permission because we've already had the wedding and the ceremony but we would really love to ask for your blessing, you know, we are so happy about this union but having your blessing and and hearing your blessing would really mean a lot to us. And I I feel like that would be an easy thing to do, but I don't think there's a ton of ceremony that would come with it. Maybe just pick a nice, quiet, simple time to do it as opposed to like, you know, when everyone's gathered for a football game or something. (laughs) We have definitely received a version of this question before. And one of your... I couldn't remember it. We have. and, And I'll tell you, I remember it because one of the podcast hosts on the mic right now had a very similar kind of issue oh my gosh i forgot about this you're so right fill everybody in dan what happened (laughs) this was a big deal in in my family and it is something that i think we talked about as i was not proposing engagement and getting married but after the wedding no i think for me it happened during the engagement Okay. Not after the ceremony. So engagement has already happened, but wedding has not. I asked Pooja to marry me before I talked to her parents about it. And when we told Pooja's parents that we were engaged, that I had proposed and she had said yes, I was expecting that to be uh, a joyous call, a really excited sharing of the news. And in many ways it was, but there was also some some genuine disappointment and i would even acknowledge a little bit of sadness maybe from puja's father in particular that mm-hmm. i had not gone through the process of formally asking his permission and it was a an interesting cross cultural etiquette situation Pooja's parents' experience of getting married was very different than hers. And the ways that they met and the ways that Pooja and I met were very different. And they understood that very well. They also knew the work that I did and the the tradition, the Western etiquette tradition that I write about and teach about. And it had been their understanding that asking the bride's father's permission was part of that and was the the component of the Western tradition that was analogous to the Indian traditions that they had been a part of previously mm-hmm. that they were hoping would happen and were looking forward to. And that you in particular who work for a company who often understands customs and things like that might might have cued in on this. Was that a part of it? Yes. Yeah. And- I had talked to your father about it, or actually, I, t- I didn't talk to your father about it beforehand, but I talked to your father as the the issue came up, as that okay, disappointment gotcha. was expressed. And yeah. I talked with Peter about what had happened. And Lizzie, can you give the accurate and detailed version of the story of what happened when Peter 
talked to oh, your mother's father? Y- yes. <laughs> so a long time ago, there was a point where I thought I might be getting engaged. And I asked my dad if being asked for a blessing or a permission was something that mattered to him. And he said, I'll tell you what your grandfather my mother's father said to me and I said, "Oh, what's that? Like you've been you've been through this, huh?" And he said that my mother was her own woman and that she was the only person who could give permission for her to be married and therefore he should just ask her directly. And that that was that was the story I got at least of both my my maternal grandfather's perspective and then a, a perspective my dad ended up adopting. Well, um that was very much the sentiment that your father shared with me. And okay. yeah. it was very much the way I thought about it. I had debated talking to Pooja's father, Pooja's parents about my mm-hmm. intention to propose and had decided that I really wanted to ask her that First. that was where I put the locus of the decision making. And mm-hmm. that was the relationship that I cared the most about. And mm-hmm. it just didn't feel quite right to me to be checking in with her parents about whether or not that was an okay conversation to be having or discussion to be having. And to be fair, knowing Pooja as a very independent, progressive woman, I mean, we aren't talking about someone who talks about very like patriarchal traditional society as being her go-to goal in life. And there are a lot of women for whom that is true and it's it's a it's what they care about, but for Pooja she has never been expressing herself that way, at least didn't make that side of a personality known if it was there. And I don't think it was, but so you were really going off of what you know of the person who's going to be answering the question. I felt like. Yes. And because Pooja's parents expressed some hurt about it, I had a discussion with them that was about that perspective, that it was really important to me that this was a decision that we made, that she felt independent and recognized making it. And that my intention was not to exclude them, that their blessing and involvement mattered deeply to me, that they were the first people we called when we got off the mountain and Mm -hmm. were back into cell phone range and could share the news, and that I was so excited to share the news with them, and that I would like to ask for their blessing. And I really like that distinction between blessing and permission. I think Mm -hmm. for some people, it's a really important difference. For some people, it's not. But for some Mm -hmm. people, it's a really important difference. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. I felt very comfortable asking for their blessing and it was granted, but it involved an acknowledgement of where that miscommunication, where that difference in expectations had come from. I don't think you always need that, but I can't read this kind of question and not go back in my mind to that time in my life. And I can picture the places I sat when I had those conversations on the phone and (laughs) I wonder if you had called a different uncle or aunt, if you would have gotten a different answer and encouragement to go ask them. Well, it's entirely possible. (laughs) And returning to the thought now as a dad who thinks a lot about his girls and what their (laughs) lives will look like. And now his little boy and what his life will look like. And one of the things that I really hope for them is that they find and have significant and meaningful relationships in their lives. I wonder how I would feel about this question now (laughs) and if I would feel even more differently in 10 years or 15 years. (laughs) Let's check in. Let's hope the podcast goes that long, (laughs) guys. 
I mean, right now, Anisha still wants to marry you, so I think we're in good stead. But... I get proposals from Aria on the regular these days. It's so phenomenal. It. <laughs> Anna and, and Jasper. Jasper had seen Matt take Anna. This is my sister and my nephew. Matt took Anna out for a date for her birthday. And within the week, he said, I want to go just me and mom to dinner. And mom, you have to... She, there was some article of clothing she had to wear, and she had to carry a purse. Like, mm-hmm. that was a big part of it. And it. But it was cute. They had a date. But little kids, man, that, that under five, they, they just want to marry their mom and their dad. It's so cute. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't necessarily want any potential partner or every potential partner to come and, and ask me if it's okay being mm-hmm. included and figuring out ways to involve parents that have close relationships with kids and families, um, mm-hmm. whatever form they take, I think is really advisable. I think this question's well considered mm-hmm. and there might've been opportunities along the way, but I don't think that they're lost. I think that there is always time to tell family that they matter, that they're significant in your life and that, that you want them included and you don't want them to feel like they've been ignored or their expectations have been trampled upon. And I think yeah. that that it's never too late. It's never too late to do that work. And I would really encourage Anonymous to to make that effort. Anonymous, because we haven't said it yet, a great big congratulations. Yeah! <laughs> and we hope our answer helps and we're confident that you have a bright future ahead. Oh, what's the matter? It's the folks, they we had a terrible scene. They don't approve. They say I'm too young. Well, we're the ones that are getting married, not your folks. I read somewhere that a marriage without parents' approval has two strikes on it from the start. I don't know, Larry. Our next question is titled, Apartment Appreciation. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I have fallen on hard times recently and am in between jobs. My friends are letting me stay with them at no cost until I get back on my feet. Other than cleaning up after myself and helping out around the apartment, what would be a good way to thank them now when I don't have much financially? I intend to take them out to dinner when I have a job again, but I would like to do something before then. Thanks, B. Oh, B. Well, first of all, good luck on the job search, and yes. we're sorry to hear that you've fallen on hard times, but we're delighted to hear that you have support around you, that you have people yeah. in your life who are willing and ready to help, and that that help is, is available and forthcoming until you're back on your feet in a way that you feel confident and secure. I also really appreciate the way you're thinking about this and the approach that you're taking, and there is certainly no financial cost to expressing gratitude well. And I would start off by not underestimating the power and impact of your words, that there are lots of things that you can do, actions you can take that will show your gratitude. And in the meantime, letting someone know by thanking them and being explicit about that is really important. And you don't need to overdo it. You don't need to follow them around every day. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I don't know what I do without you, but being sure that in a quiet moment when you've got someone's full attention, that it registers and that you clearly say, I really appreciate everything that you've done for me at this time. And I'm really grateful 
to have a friend like you in my life who's willing to put me up or, or, or whatever it is that they've specifically and actively done to support you, that you name it and thank them for it. I think that's the place I'd start. Absolutely. And I think you've already said it, Dan, when you said that the actions you take are also going to be important. And this is a time where I do feel like the doubling up of the words and the actions supporting them. I think a lot of people get into this situation and they think, oh, I'll mow the lawn and I'll do everybody's laundry and I'll take out the trash and I'll I'll do all these things that will make it like less of a lift having me around here, less, you know, less of an extra person and more of a help. And sometimes that can wane after a few weeks of actually doing those things. Or sometimes you say you're going to get to something and then these job interviews start lining up and you want to, you know, also have whatever fun you can have in life, you know, and exercise that. So maybe some social things come up and then the lawn hasn't been mowed or the garbage hasn't been taken out because you haven't been around or things like that can happen. So I think the coupling of both the gratitude, but also stating some of the things or discussing some of the things that that they would find helpful or that you would love to offer to do and making sure that you not only like follow up on them, but do them like to the best of your ability. I think those are things that really can be huge impacts on spaces. I feel like I remember I had a a roommate once whose boyfriend spent a lot of time at our house and we never charged him rent, but he was really living with us and he would mow the lawn and he did such a good job of it. And it was so delightful. It really was like it was, you never even thought about the fact that the guy wasn't paying to be there. Like it never bothered me one bit because he was just so delightful to be around. I love the idea of doing those things consistently, looking for your opportunities to do them, and also asking the person specifically yeah, yes. what would be helpful. <laughs> if you could generate a list of the mow the lawn or the do the this or the that, what would that yeah. list look like? And encourage them, right? Because some people might be like, oh, you don't have to mow the lawn. But like you get into living with someone for three or four months, and man, it kind of is really nice when they do things like help out by mowing the lawn. <laughs> and that's if there's a lawn. If it's apartment living, obviously it might be something else but it it is it it, they can can often be far more delightful than getting cash for the exchange you know what i mean the other thought that i had about this one is that communication i think is going to be key to this relationship going smoothly and i think a component of that communication is keeping someone informed about what steps you're taking or what your progress looks like toward finding a place that you can pay for or contributing in some way or finding a job, whatever those steps are, however you've mapped that course of action out for yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not that you need to report on it to someone, but you want to include them in your process. So they have some idea of what your expectations for yourself are and how, how things are moving along in that way Mm -hmm. so that they're not responsible for asking you questions about it, trying to figure out what's going on with you but that you make an effort to be open and share some of that because they've made an effort to really support you. And there is some cost to them to doing that and honoring that involves sharing with them what you're doing to not be leaning on that forever. Dan, I couldn't agree more clear communication. And I think consistent communication is going to be really, really helpful on that front. 
B, it sounds like you are both grateful for your situation and really thinking of ways to make the best of it and especially the best of, of any impact you might be having on the household. And that is just such an amazing place to be coming from. I bet your friends are really glad to be able to help you out. We certainly hope that our answer helps. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you're loving Awesome Etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show, access to bonus questions and content, and access to our live calls. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. To those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment, where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today, we have feedback from Dee on cash gifts in episode 405. Dear Awesome Etiquette team, I was happy to hear the question about how much is the right amount of cash to give at a wedding when budget is a concern. I got married a few weeks ago. Congratulations! Yay! And about 70% of our guests flew in from out of state, which was a significant cost for many. We also requested that our wedding party wear black tie attire, so the groomsmen rented tuxedos and the bridesmaids found dresses in a particular color and length. So even several of our local attendees, that is, members of the wedding party, invested a considerable amount of money to participate in our wedding, even though they didn't travel for it. Several out-of-town guests and members of the wedding party chose to skip a physical gift or cash and instead gave us beautiful cards with heartwarming words of congratulations and well wishes. My husband and I were so grateful for the most meaningful and special gift of all, which was the warmth of love from all of those friends and family who were part of our wedding celebration. I would encourage anyone who is budget conscious to prioritize attendance at the wedding if possible. And if there is little left in the budget for a gift after travel expenses, choose a beautiful, well-made card and spend time writing a thoughtful note to the couple. They will enjoy the memories of your presence at the wedding and perhaps also the card as part of their wedding book for years to come. Enjoy those wedding bells. Best, D in D.C. D in D.C., thank you so much for this feedback. It is just so wonderful to hear this side and this perspective of it. And I just really, once again, congratulations on your wedding. It sounds like it was a really, really special event. And I am glad that it inspired so many of your guests to write such lovely cards to you. That's awesome. Indeed. Awesome etiquette. <laughs> Thanks for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463.
It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today, Dan, I was wondering if I could, I probably won't have to drag you, you'll probably come with bells on, into a conversation about punctuality and how it often on the other side is balanced with patience. <laughs> I figured oh, these were two this is etiquette things. Well, you know, we did meeting etiquette recently and... I've certainly noticed, like, I have always been a very punctual person in my life. And the pandemic, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, really changed that for me in not a great way. And it's not that I'm finding myself showing up like a half hour late to social events, but I'm noticing that I have a harder time in the planning to go out checking all the boxes I used to buy, you know, like just the same way as you go out the door, you usually think like wallet, cell phone, keys, maybe sunglasses, right? Like you kind of have like your little checklist you run through. And I've noticed that the the planning side of things for me in getting out the door to a friend's house or to meet them for a walk or something like that, or maybe it's for a round of golf, that I'm having to put way more effort into it than I used to because I just wasn't flexing those muscles as many times a week as I used to. And so mm -hmm. it got me thinking about the other side of punctuality, and that is patience. And having the patience to wait out someone's lack of punctuality and yet also putting importance in your own life on punctuality. So I thought they might be two fun peas to talk about today. Well, I love it because I was recently doing a, a training call with one of our future trainers and uh -huh. we were talking about big picture etiquette concepts, the the types of things that can give you a lot of guidance when you're figuring out what to do in other sort of more specific situations. And mm -hmm. one of those big umbrellas that we talked about was being on time and respecting other people's time, honoring time contracts, punctuality. And I found myself in the process of talking about it, acknowledging that we have a set of tip cards that we provide as training materials and that whether it's meeting etiquette, dining etiquette, top 10 business etiquette tips, there's a, <laughs> a set of our tip cards. And on over half of them, the first tip is beyond time. <laughs> hmm. Is it important? <laughs> it's pretty important. And what really intrigues me about the way you're approaching it is a sense of balance that like so many things in life, when there's something that's really important, there's oftentimes more of an equation with something else on the other side of the equal sign. And mm -hmm. the idea that punctuality is important, but that if we're going to talk about how important it is, then really patience is also important because it's going to be required to balance out the equation. Either when you're so punctual that you're a little ahead of time and you need to exercise <laughs> a little bit of patience while everything catches up to your ahead of schedule. I can't wait to get back to that. <laughs> or on the other side of thing, dealing with the real world where real things happen. And despite everyone's best intentions and even thoughtful action and planning, things don't always work out exactly the way we intend or hope. And sometimes some understanding and some patience is required when you're operating within a framework where the understood rule is so important. I think of it as like, um, if, if you've ever been in therapy and they've said, think, think about little you, right? <laughs> like the little version of you. And sometimes that means the childhood version of you, but other times you're thinking about the different versions of you that, that are in your head or that come out. 
And I try to make much smaller than she often can be this little version of me that is just constantly arms crossed, tapping a foot, like waiting, waiting, waiting. And I try to shrink her down, you know, so that she's a much smaller version of me. But it is so true that none of us are going to be perfectly punctual all the time. There are just too many little things that can get in the way and stop you, even if you've planned for that 15 minutes in case of traffic or, okay, in some cities, maybe it's 45 minutes in case of traffic or something like that, that there is always something unexpected that could pop up and and contribute to us being late. And that that means that all of us can really relate to that. And that the angst, the judgment, the frustration that we start to feel when someone is late and, and we are on time or we're waiting for them is something that I think we can sympathize with more regularly, even though what someone might be late for might be really important. And it is creating a sense of a lack of consideration or a lack of respect, even if it is contributing to those things, which are obviously negative, how on our end, when we're experiencing someone else's lateness or lack of punctuality, can we allow it to serve us better and have that patience serve us better and minimize those little crossed arms, tapping feet version of us that's in our head that's so frustrated? So anyway, those were just some some of the things that I was thinking about with it. But when we talk about punctuality, Dan, what are some of the 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 kind of reasons for it? The the things that it does well for us when we when we enact it in our lives. For me, the big picture thing that punctuality shows is that it respects other people. And how does it yeah. do that? It respects their time. And there's a, a whole concept that's implicit when we're talking about punctuality, but let's make mm-hmm. it explicit. That's mm-hmm. that there's some kind of deadline. There's some yeah. sort of agreement. In order for there to be a concept of punctuality, there has to be a concept of this is the time it's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority of times, that's an agreement with someone else in some way. However, that agreement's been set up, whether it's a calendar invite, a, I'll meet you there then, verbal, or anything in between. The start of an event. Yeah. And I was thinking about the subtlest version of that agreement, which is one with yourself. I'm going to set a mm-hmm. deadline for myself. This is going to be done by Friday morning. Mm-hmm. Meeting your deadlines. Being punctual, honoring your time contracts shows respect. It shows respect for other people or it shows respect for yourself. Whoever you've made that agreement with, you want to respect the the moment and the reasons for agreeing to do that. And you want to honor them and do your best to, to be there. Respect is the answer for me as to why punctuality is important. Not because, oh, it makes everything go smoother. It's true. It does. (laughs) Not because it's functionally gets more work done. If people can count on calendars or all those things are important. That's true too, but. (laughs) At its heart, it shows respect. I really like on top of the respect, the sense of uh, reliability and trust that it can build. Yeah, right. When you start really thinking about it, it's like when you can really trust that someone's going to be on time or when you yourself know that you can get out the door on time, just the sense of ease that that brings to things and to relationships. Um, Someone's not sitting around wondering or thinking, well, 
he or she or they might show up in five minutes. They might show up in an hour. I've seen everything in between. You know, that's that's a, a you know, basically like throw a dart at a board and that's the time the person might might actually show up. If that's the kind of relationship that you're building with people, if that's the kind of impression that you're leaving, it's not one that can be really counted on a lot of the times. And we all have them in our families or in our friend groups. There sometimes is just that one person who you're like, you know what? The one thing I can count on is that they will be late. How late is the biggest question. But is that really the impression you want to be putting out there? <laughs> like, um, And so I, I love the idea that by working on punctuality, I can actually build better, more trusting relationships with people. I can be someone that can be counted on. And if something is wrong, people aren't just – if I am late, they aren't just assuming that's just me. That's just how I behave and how I treat other people in their time. They're saying, thinking, oh, boy, something must really be wrong because Lizzie, she's never late, you know. At least I hope that's what they think. <laughs> like, but I like that reliability and trust and relationship building. I love the outcomes of reliability and trust being the result of punctual behavior. It's it's so key. And you walked us up to some tricky territory with the idea of the persistently late friend. And <laughs> it, it introduces a topic I wasn't going to address in this postscript, but I'll just mention it, which is yeah. that people have very different relationships to the very concept of time. Yeah. And I don't want to sort of go too far down the road of acknowledging what a subtle and tricky thing time and time <laughs> management is. But it, it is it is true that in its simplest version, some people wear watches, some people don't. Some people feel much more accountable to a division of the day into hours than they do a division of the day into minutes. And mm -hmm. I in some ways think this is maybe a good place to acknowledge that and then also transition to the concept of patience, which I think acknowledges <laughs> that not everyone has that same relationship to time. And as positive as all those benefits are, as effective as all the, the attributes that are associated with timeliness make someone, that it's not necessarily true that someone who has a looser relationship with time is a bad person or doesn't care. No. And having an understanding about that is maybe the beginning of a way to <laughs> of explore the <laughs> a, a, a virtue that isn't easy. <laughs> Before we jump over there, one of the other things that I do really like about punctuality and without saying that uh, any one particular timing, as Dan is saying, is better than the other. But while still understanding that being punctual does demonstrate respect and it helps to build a reliable and trustworthy relationship, I think it also shows that you can organize yourself and that you can anticipate potential issues that might come up, you know, when you're that person who's always able to get out the door five, 10, 15 minutes early, if you can, because you know that you might not hit the traffic lights correctly, or there could be an accident somewhere that, that makes you have to take a detour or something like that, that you're able to 
show up on time and fulfill that commitment that you made the way Dan's saying you can't be late unless unless both parties had agreed there was a a time you were supposed to be there right i think that it it does just add to creating a great impression of of who you are and what you can handle and i think that it's it to me it's really interesting to see all of these things that punctuality can actually end up demonstrating um but you got us into patience cuz and you you started off right in the place where i think most people would start which is that old adage that patience is a virtue and that it is a virtue that is especially difficult i think for a lot of people i i don't think anyone is 100% awesome at patience all the time. I think it's something that um, you could be naturally better at than somebody else, but that it is something we all have to practice and exercise and keep at the forefront of our brain, or that we are all presented with many opportunities in life to practice our patience. Patience as a virtue is such a cliché. It is. It's such a cliche. It and is. one of my favorite things to say about cliches is they become cliches because we say <laughs> them all the time. We say them all the time because they are true. It's true. And I think that this world would be well served if everyone could really remember what a virtue patience is, that it will be required of all of us. And it's both a virtue in terms of the relationships that we have with other people, the ability to be forgiving and understanding and tolerant, even if it's not forgiveness or understanding that's required, but just tolerance, mm-hmm. that it has benefits in that relationship and in that context. But patience also pays benefits internally. It is a safe psychological and emotional place to be. If you can say to yourself, I'm a patient person. And this waiting doesn't bother me. It doesn't aggravate me. It doesn't bring me to a place of grievance. Mm -hmm. That's a real tool in your toolbox. And we talked earlier in this show about anger and ways to, if not confront anger, manage it, deal with Mm -hmm. it when you're presented with it. And Mm -hmm. whether it's lateness or anger, the, the idea of patience, I think, is is an expectation that we can have of ourselves. And like you said, Lizzie, a skill that we can cultivate in ourselves that has the potential to yield benefits both externally and internally. One of the places where I find it really easy to reframe my patience, right? Because you can be forced into being patient, right? <laughs> like it's, you have to wait until that person shows up for the thing that you agreed you both were going to come in at a certain time on. But how I think about that time, I find greatly changes my level of positively being patient versus negatively being patient. And so that that internal voice, that little toe tapper that's inside of me, if I can instead get her to focus on the fact that, okay, so a client just told me they're going to be 15 minutes late rather than be annoyed because I've just spent half an hour prepping and I'm like ready to go. I'm here. I'm on time. I'm, I'm ready. Whew, I've worked it all up and I'm ready to engage. And now I've got like a 15 minute delay rather than sort of get angsty about that. I try and think, what can I accomplish in 15 minutes? Does it allow me to respond to that email right now? Does it allow me to quickly, you know, run and use the restroom or grab a glass of water if I haven't already done those things, which I should have already done before a scheduled meeting, but um, it might allow me to, to catch up on something or tackle something or even allow me a moment of peace where I say, you know what? 
I've got these 15 mm-hmm. minutes. I'm going to take a deep breath. Maybe I do a little meditation. I've, I do that Headspace app. Maybe I take a minute and stretch or just like walk around my house for a moment, go take care of a dish that was left in the sink. What can I utilize this time for as opposed to thinking of it as time wasted or time taken from me? I love the sense of control that that provides. <laughs> I'm going that, for it. I'm going for it, guys. <laughs> well, it's true. O- oftentimes, it's a, a an internal choice, whether yeah. you're at the mercy of the world or whether you're in control of what you're thinking and feeling. And I think making that choice and embracing the idea of patience as a virtue is is a real way to do that. And I like some of your strategies for also filling that time and space as someone who finds himself repeating things his mother used to tell him when he was young. <laughs> like, I never want to hear you say you're bored. That's like saying you're boring. No one's responsible for your attention but you. <laughs> um, it's it's a really cogent reminder that yeah. your attention is yours. And it's one of the things that you have the most control over and the most responsibility for. I know that sometimes just like with the timing where it can vary, people's sense of timing can vary. I'm also often interested in what feel like how my own perception of time impacts my patients. So like does not register if I've got 20 people coming over for a dinner party and 15 of them have arrived and one of them is 15 minutes late like no like just doesn't doesn't even bother don't even notice and probably like oh my gosh and you're here oh and it's already this time I didn't even notice you know but if I'm waiting on like a zoom call for like five minutes or if we've got like an interview scheduled and someone's like three minutes late it's it's amazing how quickly my brain starts to go do they do I have the date and time of the call right do I have the the details correct? Did they have the details correct? Did we both confirm? It's like I'm, I'm rushing through my email. I'm checking through my messages, trying to figure out if there was a disconnect. And it's only like been three to five minutes in. <laughs> it's worth recognizing that two different things, whether they be social events or business events, that the idea of lateness can vary. And that when it then comes to how am I going to choose to be patient about this, my my patience varies as well in the in the differing scenarios. And just being aware of that fact, I think, is another thing that can help you exercise that patience. Like I look at it and I say, okay, well, we're only three minutes past the mark. I've checked everything. It looks good. In another two to three minutes, because it's a virtual call, I'm going to send an email and just asking if now is still a good time. Probably wouldn't three minutes into that dinner party scenario, text someone who isn't there yet and say, hey, is everything okay? Are you still coming tonight? You know, you want to you want to exercise your patience a little differently in the different scenarios. I think that's a great tip. There are different times in life where our own internal clocks are ticking. And if we could think just a little bit ahead of time about where those triggers are likely to go off, those are also places to be extra careful and to remind ourselves that maybe taking a breath and letting it linger for just a minute is not as hard as it feels. And maybe even as an opportunity to exercise a little bit of that virtue. Well, Dan, to put in a classically ham-fisted joke on our podcast, 
I please, really please hope, give it to me. <laughs> I really hope we haven't tested everyone's patience with the length of this postscript. <laughs> but truly, thank you all for, for being patient and giving a listen. And hopefully this gets you all thinking a little bit about punctuality and patience in your own life. We could depend on him to be on time and do his work on time. You might call him an eager beaver. But look at it from the employer's point of view. Wouldn't you like to have Bob working for you? We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today we have a salute from Lubna. Hi Lizzie and Dan. I am a substitute teacher and have been for a few years now. I love the flexibility and change from day to day. I go to only a handful of schools and now have a nice relationship with many teachers. A few weeks ago, I was set to teach math at a local high school, which is only five minutes away from home. As I got in the car, I saw that the tire pressure indicator said it was a little low, but I thought I would just check it out after work. No biggie. Well, when I got to work, I looked at the tire and it was flat. I knew I had options. I took a picture and sent it to my husband, and we would figure out what best options there were. I just wanted to get in and set myself up for teaching that day. I was in the math office, and over the PA system, they mentioned my car and whoever it belonged to if they could come to the office. The principal had seen my car and didn't want me to be stuck at the end of the day in case I wasn't aware of the flat. I was so touched with his consideration, I thanked him. When I got to the math office, I told the two other teachers why I went. They both suggested I go to the automotive teacher. I had told them I knew the math office teachers, but didn't feel comfortable just walking in and asking the automotive teacher to look at my car. One of the teachers in the math office made some excuse why she had to go see this person anyway, and she would take me down and introduce me. Well, the teacher for the automotive class not only fixed my tire, but also used it as a learning tool in class. The cost was a nominal fee for the consumables. For something that could have been a stressful situation, it ended up being such a pleasant one. This salute goes out to the principal who wanted to make sure I was aware of my car situation, the teachers that suggested I go to the automotive class, and introduced me to the teacher who then fixed my car with so much kindness. Take care, Lubna. I love, I love that. It's like a little cascade of good things happening from this flat tire, which is usually such a pain. Oh, a, a cascade of of good etiquette is exactly <laughs> the best way to describe that. And it is such a reminder for me that I, someone who doesn't like to ask for help, that mm -hmm. so often those moments where we get to ask for help are the moments where other people really get to shine. Lubna, thank you so much for this etiquette salute. It really made my day. today and thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on patreon please connect with us and share this show with your friends family and co-workers however you love to share podcasts you can send us your next question feedback or salute by email to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com you can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND that's 802-858-5463 
On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we're the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people to find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.